360Ed TV is brought to you by Rice Studios and Agility. Hi, I'm Tony Maguire. Welcome to 360Ed TV. Here at 360Ed TV, we believe that education matters, that it transforms lives and that it moves us forward. We're interested in who and what is influencing and shaping the conversations, the thinking and the vision of educators. So we go in search of the places where we can explore the art and the science of quality learning and teaching today and into the future. Recently we flew to Brisbane to attend iDesignX 2017. There we met with and interviewed some of the keynotes, some of the EdTech companies represented, and importantly, got a sense from the attendees as to what was compelling and interesting in this particular conference. It was a great experience. We met with the keynote, Dr. Melissa Bordogna. We discussed the future of work, being a teacher in an age of machine learning, and then we spent time with Mark Robertson from Cengage where we talked about learning platforms and the future of technology in that space. Melissa, your career's been an interesting journey from PR and communications roles in businesses through adjunct uh, academic to today where you're a speaker, a consultant and an educator. I'm interested in any reflections that you might share regarding your early career and how that may have shaped your thinking and your approach to the concept of engagement across the learner journey. My early career didn't have as much impact in terms of the learner journey, in terms of the public relations and marketing side of it. Well, maybe it did. It did in the sense that the customer is your central focus, right? And you have to be able to produce to their needs, but realizing that in an in a industry learning environment, you have two sets of customers. One is the learner who's ultimately experiencing the learning, but then there's the other level is the employer themselves or the client. And they're expecting a certain level of return on investment or impact for effort. And I think the public relations and the marketing background is really a foundation for that. So when I work with organizations, um, I'm looking at it at two levels. And so there's the level of what the, the client wants to achieve, and then there's the level of how do we do that through the learning. And sometimes it's a matter of asking them, saying, they say, oh, we need learning, and I say, why? And what do you think it's going to achieve? And it's asking those questions. So as an adjunct, um, I became fascinated with getting the most out of my students, right? And, and, and having them think and having them experience and coming away with a really, really good experience. Now, really good experience doesn't necessarily mean they're happy with me, okay? I was teaching a media theory class one, one year for Notre Dame University in Sydney and um, really thought for, I like to think it was thought provoking. Um, but I had a student come up to me at the end of the class. She goes, I leave here every week really mad. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, 
sorry. And she said, I think that I'm pretty, pretty cluey and not a being able to be manipulated by media. I know what's going on. And I come in here and you talk about these things and show me these things and I realize how much I'm still manipulated. And I'm like, okay. Great. <laughs> Job done. Job tick. done. Yeah, tick, yeah, tick the box. So, so the focus here is very much customer focused, learner focused, and mm. on my path. So much current research and organizational focus is centered on the importance of the student experience as a foundation for improved student progression and completion. You speak about student experience as a key focus, but you also look at the other side of that coin, which is the teacher. We have a student engagement, student experience, but also the impact of the teacher in that. What drew your focus to the teaching side? It's a really good question. Um, being a teacher uh, for the last almost 20 years off and on, um, I recognize that our heart is, a, is in the right place with the students, but sometimes we get tired and we get disenfranchised uh, based on shifting expectations, change of society, organizational um, implications and, and mandates, especially in some environments where there's so much legislation um, that it really uh, ties the hands of the teachers and they start to feel that they have little control about what happens in the classroom anymore. And so I began looking at that both from a, for, for very personal reasons, but also then looking to my colleagues and saying, hey, guess what? We can reinvigorate mm. what it means to teach. You have more uh, say-so and control on the ground with that group of learners than you think you do. There's a lot more autonomy there than you think you have. And let me show you how you could reinvigorate what you're doing through gamification or through more collaborative based learning or whatever it happens to be um, yes it takes effort it's a lot it takes a little bit more effort than throwing up slides but it's doable and you mm. can as I keep using this word reinvigorate yourself your profession and the students along the way so it was very personal for me um, mm. looking at the experience of the teacher I think that's a, a nice segue into um, some of the work that you're doing in terms of uh, your research and your thinking around the future of work. And I'd just like to explore some of your thoughts around that for a moment. You recently mm -hmm. wrote, the time has come to reflect on what it means to be human, doing human work in an age of machines. So maybe a big question coming, but sure. I'm wondering, obviously there are lessons that we can take <coughs> from similar inflection points, mm -hmm. such as the Industrial Revolution, at a high level, what might they be? Look, um, technological displacement has always happened. What we're finding though is the technological displacement that is predicted to be coming is going to be coming at such a rate and such a speed that we need to be having conversations like this now. Um, in terms of previous ages, and, and the age, by the way, that we're in is being called a whole lot of different things. We're, yeah. we're still not really set on what it is we're talking about. Some say it's a post-knowledge age. Some say it's an experience age. Some say it's a fourth industrial revolution. So but to go back to the original 
or original, but what we're talking about, the Industrial Revolution. I think as humans, we have, we have the propensity for great hope and innovation, but also for uh, the fearful mentality and scarcity mentality that comes along with change. Um, so I think the lessons from the past have to do with how we manage change, how we bring people along with us, mm. as many as possible, so that they're not falling through the gaps. And unfortunately, there will be that, and that's where it, it becomes an even bigger issue in terms of society and policy, and when we talk about universal basic income or self-sustainable communities, it becomes bigger. But I think the lessons are, in terms of the past, is how humans typically react, and how we can help to um, guide people and may still have them have a sense of security in their lives mm -hmm. and hope for the future and that they're not just going to be left behind. Melissa, you've just helped me segue brilliantly into my last question before we talk about catalysis. Sure. Um, <clears throat> strictly speaking, Luddites didn't challenge machines or technology per se. They, they were more concerned with um, manufacturers fraudulently you know, disrupting established mm -hmm. labor, labor practices. Um, they feared the erosion of quality outputs through machines that kind of circumvented the, 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 the artisan work that they were doing, mm. typically using technology. Mm. Um, against that backdrop of, of AI and <coughs> learning algorithms and the uptake of educational technology, I'd like to paraphrase what you said earlier and get your thoughts on what you believe it means to be a teacher, teaching in an age of machines. Again, I love these questions. They're, they're thought-provoking. Um, I think a teacher in the age of machines has the opportunity to be what a teacher really is meant to be. I mean, I can't tell you how many educators from K through 12 to university on up who said, oh my gosh, if I didn't have to sit there and grade all these papers, blah, blah, blah. Now, there is value in assessment, yeah. all right? There's absolutely value and it needs to happen. But if a machine with an algorithm can grade a million essays in a few minutes to the same degree as a human, and they, they have this happening already, um, you know, some of us will only grade 10,000 in a lifetime. If I was assured that the, the quality of the grading of the assessment and the feedback would be up to par, then now I can get on with the job of mentoring of asking those questions, of being, um, guiding my students in terms of life skills and wisdom that underpins so much content, right? Content, depending on what it is, is something that shifts and changes through time. When I was taught to be a PR person writing a press release as a technician, mm. that is very different 25 years later. So that knowledge changes, but the underpinning abilities to think, to question, to um, be creative is really what we're teaching our students for the long term. Mm. To be adaptive, to be um, inqui inquisitive, and that is what will make a difference in our society. And machines, while they can do repetitive types of tasks, and that's moving now more into the white collar space than it ever has, they do not have the ability yet <laughs> to look at disparate information and knowledge and pull it together in such a way to create something interesting and novel. They do not have the ability yet to, you know, to look at and predict how a piece of legislation is going to impact the financial services industry. 
they can look back at past data and give you some predictions, but they cannot add to that, you know, here's this piece of legislation, blah, blah, blah. So as a teacher, we can get on with teaching, which is why most of us are in the profession in the first place, to have that impact, to see the light turn on, to hear the stories in 10 years time about, um, sorry, about how you've impacted someone's life. Oh my gosh, sorry. <clears throat> no, th uh, thank you, thank you. Sorry. This is, so. this is, that emotion is to the core of who we are as educators, as teachers. Yeah. When we see the penny drop, when we see that, that moment when a kid, an adult, moves from lack of confidence and surety about mm. their direction to confidence and empowerment. That's right. You do. You, yeah. And that's a, that's a piece I miss not mm. teaching anymore. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Finally, tell us about Catalysis. Well, it's an interesting evolution. Uh, again, I think we all have a journey to take. and. Um, a few years back, when I started uh, talking at iDesign, uh, I was under this auspice of the Savvy Academic, and it was about um, uh, providing to learning professionals uh, professional development um, in terms of taking their careers to the next stage. And in the process, as my journey has gone on with the, um, the social collaboration stuff and the future of work, it's kind of expanded, and pretty soon the Savvy Academic is going to be subsumed under a brand called Catalysis X with a K. Now catalysis is, is adding the process of adding a catalyst to something to initiate change. Now change for many people is very scary, but it doesn't have to be. It could also be very hopeful. So um, for me, uh, with the launch of catalysis in the next few months, it's about this serving as a catalyst as we look at the future of work, the future of learning, and bridging that um, and preparing people for the new skill sets that are coming down the track. So. Thank you, Melissa. I have really enjoyed this morning. Thank you, I appreciate your time, your candor, and your emotion. Thank you. Afternoon, Mark. Good uh, afternoon. I have with me Mark Robertson, who's the Learning Technology Partner at Cengage uh, here in Australia. Uh, Mark's a Brisbane boy. He's just flitted down to Melbourne. I can't get him to follow Hawthorne, but there you go. Uh, Mark has been in the uh, learning and development space for many, many years. He has a really rich and varied uh, background. I'd like to share a little bit of that and get Mark to talk to that. Uh, Mark, welcome to 360 Ed TV. Thank you very much. You're most welcome. Mark, firstly, tell us about Cengage, uh, its mission. Who do you serve? Yep. What are you doing? Yeah. Um, Cengage um, is a large company. Uh, its mission is it's an education and technology company and its mission is to delight and inspire learners. Um, its key markets are uh, kindergarten to year 12. Uh, we also work in the professional space, in the vet sector, universities. Uh, so right, uh, quite a broad spectrum which, which we deliver content, we deliver platforms and we deliver services. And given the fact that the educational sector last year was worth about $116 billion, um, you play in a very important part of the Australian economy. Absolutely. And Cengage has a very long history when you track back through all of its sure. historical uh, growth. Yeah. Uh, so wedded to Australia. So interesting. Yeah. yeah. Your career isn't quite as long as Cengage's history, Mark, but very much a, a career of, of, of two parts. Yeah. Um, 
the first half, interestingly, is a sales and marketing lead, uh, and then the second half as an educational designer and a technologist. I'm interested in any reflections that you could share regarding how your early career um, has shaped your thinking and your approach as a teacher, as an educator. Sure, sure. In the early part of my career, um, my discipline was marketing. And in marketing, we talk a lot about advertising, we talk a lot about selling, but we also talk a lot about communication. So during my time as a marketer, a lot of work was spent around communication, marketing communications. And so um, I was very interested in technology, but how did technology influence communication and communication influence technology? So the whole conversation was around engagement. So when I transitioned my career over to an educational focus, it was of no surprise that that transition incorporated engagement. So when I look at how I engage with our learners, for example, I try to think about, um, to use a marketing term, personas, yep. who they actually are, what they actually look like, what they ate for breakfast, what their favorite music station. Um, but more importantly, think about what will engage that learner. So there's a multitude of technological tools available, and uh, you know we're seeing advances across a variety of different areas. So my role is about fitting the best technology with a particular target audience. So you can see the synergies between sales and marketing career as well as uh, a foray into education. As a practitioner, you've worked with professional bodies, yeah. such as the Australian New Zealand College of Anaesthetists. Yeah. Uh, you've worked with RTOs and TAFEs. What's the focus of your session here at uh, iDesernX Learning Design Summit? Yeah. And what are you sharing with attendees? Sure, sure. The focus is on the next generation digital learning environment. And so um, the definition of that goes back quite a way. But basically, um, the next generation digital learning environment is all about well, what comes next. What comes next after an LMS? Um, LMS being the learning management system. So in looking at a space where learners can be, what does that look like? And so there's basically five core principles around uh, what that space looks like. And it's about uh, interoperability and integration. So looking at how different systems talk to each other. And it's all about uh, personalization, uh, what I mentioned earlier about um, what's in it for the learner, what's their journey look like, how is it personalized to their learning style. Um, it's also about analytics. There's a great myriad of data uh, that learners generate as they go through a course. And it's becoming more important for institutions and, and, and private companies and corporations to understand what's working and what's not working, considering the amount of time and effort in putting uh, courses together. So the analytics um, is, an, is an extremely important part about um, looking at it from a program level, what's, uh, what courses are being uh, completed earlier rather than later, what courses are good or not so good. Uh, but from the learner perspective also, it's around 
instantly seeing, for example, on a dash on a dashboard where their progression is through a course, what they need to do next, um, what competencies have they fulfilled. So the analytics part is um, it's actually very important. So we hear a lot about social media, and uh, one would consider that if you had an optimum learning space, it would also involve a lot of collaboration. So bringing in your media feeds to your learning space, for example, the ability to collaborate within that system with other learners in your class and to see their learning journey as well. So their learning journey may inform your learning journey. Um, and the last aspect um, is all around um, accessibility and universal design. So that's um, more toward the standards of, of creating this environment. So, you know, for example, um, we adhere to WCAG 2 standards, which is the Web Accessibility Guidelines, um, but we also play a large part in um, standards for the design of this environment. And that interoperability and standards piece is so critical because uh, we look at the modularization yeah. of technology stacks. Sure. Yeah. We really do need to think about ways that we can tear something off the Velcro and plug in something new. Without those standards and that agreed approach to those standards, that agility for institutions and organisations starts to wither. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. Good. It's a yeah. really good point. You see so many people trying uh, VR goggles on. Uh, They've picked up some 3D yeah. printing outputs, yeah, yeah. host of other tools and technologies. Five years ago, gamification was on everybody's lips. Uh, it probably launched a, a thousand um, a theses. Yeah, yeah. Um, given your experience in online and face-to-face -face instructional design, yeah. and the use of gamification, yeah. can you offer any thoughts on how teachers might think about pedagogical and instructional scaffolds to better use emerging technologies? Yeah, sure. Um, at the end of the day, um, teachers have really got to think about the learner in terms of empowering the learner with their own journey. So rather than being teacher-centered, be learner-centered. Mm -hmm. So if, if you create an environment for the learner to thrive, that is the optimum result. And that's ultimately what Cengage is doing in creating these environments, these rich environments uh, where learners can be inspired um, and, and learn. So in terms of scaffolding and uh, how it is to pedagogy or instructional design principles, um, the building blocks of creating an environment could be varied. However, at the end of the day, it comes back to creating an environment which the learner can learn. So bringing out the intrinsic motivation of a learner, uh, get them inquiring and to be curious, to ask questions. Um, with the likes of Google, everyone has the answer. And so um, how do you bypass how do you bypass that in learning? Well you bypass it by being curious, by asking questions and by um, facilitating discussion. So without the facilitation of discussion between people, um, you're going to get knowledge at a very low level. Yeah. You're going to get the regurgitation of facts 
but through discussion and through reflective activities, you're going to get the higher end of thinking. You're going to get the evaluation, the synthesis of, of learning. Really good point. If we start to, I guess, consider moving from rote and, I guess, the assessment of transactional knowledge transfer, in a sense, yeah. what do instructors and teachers need to think about then when they start to assess performance and learning in those more, more advanced sure, sure. stages? Well, obviously, um, you know, Bloom's taxonomy is a, is a great place to start because um, Bloom looked at knowledge on, on various levels and the understanding of that knowledge, um, he said, well, at the, the very low level is just the understanding of it. And then as you progress up through different levels, um, you find uh, critical thinking, the analysis part, and finally at the very top is the evaluation. And so when we start talking about how do we design things uh, so that actually the learner actually learns, we need to understand the outcome, the learning outcome. So what do, what do we actually want the learner to achieve? Do we want them to apply a, a certain principle? Or do we just want to uh, for them to regurge facts? So typically, we want to engage the higher levels of thinking. And, uh, um, you know, that obviously there's various tools to enable that and various uh, verbs to, to describe it. So that's, that's, the, that's the end goal. There are lots of tools at our disposal, sure, yeah. wikis, e-portfolios. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder when we look at this plethora of tools and the outputs they provide, if we sometimes lose the essential learner outputs that we need to effectively measure learning uh, across all the domains. So my question to you is, could a more focused, uh, a more formal focus on assessment help us to use the right tools to build a more cohesive uh, and accurate view of the learner's progress? Well, um, you know, if we look at assessment and we look at um, formal learning, um, we've also got to engage ourselves in informal learning. And I would say that a large part of our learning is actually informal. And the assessment that we give to our students um, certainly goes along the lines of the, of the formal part, but should also go along the lines of the informal part as well. Not every student is going to do well in their exam. And so, you know, sure the principles of you know, formative and summative assessment are, yeah. are, are very valid. Um, formative assessment being, you know, assessing the student as, the, as they go along and the summative, you know, the end exam. But look at the student from a holistic point of view. It's looking at the student from an informal point of view as well. What, what other things can be questioned to the student which would demonstrate mastery, but not necessarily in a formal sense? Yeah. Really enjoyed the conversation. Um, again, uh, as I said before, Cengage has, has been such a, a central plank in a sense to, to so many services and, and products that, 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 that the communities um, consumed and used over the years. Yeah. Thank you for spending the time. It's been a busy conference. Um, we were just talking before about the quality of the speakers and it really has been a great conference in terms of really interesting, innovative, snappy uh, pieces of, of really productive information. So I agree. It's been a great conference. Yeah. Mark?
Thank you. Thank you very much. Two buzzwords that we've been hearing a lot of over the last six to 12 months have been adaptive learning and of course augmented reality and VR. As buzzwords, they give us touch points in terms of a general experience. But I thought it was important that we dig into what these technologies really mean in quality learning and teaching. So we met with Smart Sparrow's Dominic Sebastian and we talked about adaptive learning and Smart Sparrow's vision for adaptive learning systems in the future. Dominic Sebastian, Head of Design at Smart Sparrow. Welcome to 360 Ed TV. Thank you. And thank you for taking time out of a very busy uh, conference here at iDesignX in Brisbane. Dominic, firstly, can you tell us a little bit about uh, Smart Sparrow, its mission, uh, your plans for global domination? From your position as head of design? Smart Sparrow is an edtech company. Uh, we have our own platform, Adaptive E-Learning platform. Uh, but we also have two award-winning studios, uh, one in Sydney and one in San Francisco. Uh, but we're all under the same umbrella as Smart Sparrow. Um, and our mission is, as uh, lofty as it sounds, to actually make the world smarter. Uh, we really think that we want to empower everyone to make better learning experiences. Uh, so we give them the tools and the techniques and any, any of the resources they could need. We're passionate about kind of building for them. Um, and yeah, that pretty, pretty much sums up what we're about. Um, we're about, yeah, about 60 or 70 strong now. Um, I think what set Smart Spray apart for me when I was looking as well about joining them uh, was a diversity in backgrounds where people have had. And I think that actually really lends itself well to come out with interesting learning experiences as well. They're not all just from the same kind of a cloth. Uh, so yeah, it's an interesting place to work for. Excellent. Uh, it's been obviously garnering a lot of very positive feedback uh, from the communities that are engaging with you. Uh, and I think it's nice to see an Australian company reaching out to the world. I think that's a really strong positive. So, so well done to, uh, to you and the team. Um, I'd like to explore that adaptive technology a bit further. Um, from Smart Sparrow's perspective, um, how's your adaptive technology different to other learning design platforms or other learning management uh, systems? Um, essentially, what does it do that others can't? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and one that we get asked quite frequently as well, because I think there is, in the last couple of years at least, uh, quite a lot of competition in that space. And I think it, you know, it can get a little bit confusing what the differences are. Smart Sparrow's adaptive platform is different in that we actually offer full pedagogical control, um, which basically means that the learning designers and instructors that use it actually have full control about how it will adapt to a student. Uh, whereas other services are kind of like uh, algorithmic, they'll serve up content based on just like predefined conditions. Uh, but ours puts you fully in control of that. So I think uh, it really caters to like very powerful, very finely tuned learning experiences, which you kind of need to have uh, a very nuanced tool to cater to all the nuanced learners that are out there. I think you kind of have to have that match. The uh, ours is really basically pedagogical control is the main differentiator. Yeah, interesting. Um, when you look at some of the larger uh, proprietary platforms, I guess going back to your point, the the cues that, that they take are typically transactional cues from interactions. Yep. Yep. And you're talking about a different approach to how you morph 
the learning pathway, the learner journey based on a, on a richer, more right. nuanced set. Yeah. yeah, so you can kind of, uh, there's, there's multiple options available to you, but you can kind of adapt on like a learner profile, you know, someone's name, someone's uh, someone's age, or most commonly we have in corporate is actually their department, so they kind of say which which area you're a part of, you know, based on that, and that's kind of the lowest level of adaptivity for us. And you kind of get down into adapting based on someone's understanding, uh, and that can be on like a per screen basis. But you can actually store all of those answers and kind of adapt way down the track based on their kind of like uh, complete knowledge of that area. Um, so I think the complexity of learning is it, it really is much better catered to that uh, because yeah, you, you need to quite complex tools to actually solve that problem. So, what are some of the results you're seeing with your clients? Uh, we've had some really good feedback and some good uh, actual studies done as well. Um, I think one of our most well-known ones is from Ganga Prosti. Um, he did adaptive mechanics. And he managed to reduce his failure rate from 31% to 5%. Um, and this was a longitudinal study, so it was over about five years, I think. Um, but that was massive, you know, and it was like uh, the level of distinction marks went up. Uh, and also all of the failures went down as well. So it was like a win-win. And we've had some really good student success outcomes. Uh, St. Leo uh, is probably the most recognizable one. Um, they did a comparative study, so they had like a control group and then a group they did the adaptive learning on. And the course they did with Smarts were actually outperformed pretty much on every metric they had. Um, so yeah, we've had some really good response. Uh, I think what personally keeps us going is like the numbers is great, but we actually get a lot of feedback from students, like unsolicited feedback saying how much more they actually preferred the course, they're saying why can't all my courses be like this, you know, it's pretty great to actually hear that, um, and that's pretty much what we do. I'm interested to understand, hearing that you're getting such positive feedback from the students, Yeah. what about the practitioners, the academics, learning development, instructional designers? Yeah, I think um, they obviously come at it from the other angle, um, I think they you routinely love the promise of Smart Sparrow. I think uh, you know it's quite a compelling sell that we're going to be able to help you kind of automate all the best parts of your teaching. You know, we're not trying to replace the, the teachers in any way. Um, so I think they like the fact that they can kind of yeah automate how they're going to teach a, a much wider group. Um, and and the ones that are most recently, they really have kind of uh, bought into the vision, I guess, of Smart Sparrow. Mm -hmm. And they, they've also given us like good unsolicited feedback. Um, we have a bunch of case studies on our site that kind of so if I could ask you just to step back for a moment and just think more broadly in terms of trends that you're seeing from a technology perspective, from a needs perspective, what do you think is coming down the path in the next, let's say two years, let's not get too extravagant, yeah, sure. but what do you think is potentially going to be impactful in that period of time? Yeah, I think there's a, a sliding scale. I think uh, a lot of people are talking about VR in education. Uh, we've had success in that uh, quite a lot last year. Uh, we had uh, Bill and Melinda Gates funded uh, projects called Inspark in the States. Um, and it's science courseware, but like movie production science courseware uh, for community colleges in the States. And they did a big VR experience where you went into the cell and you kind of put on a headset and you're inside the body and you have to, you know, transfer energy to cells and it's incredible. Uh, and I think everyone sees the growth potential in that. Um, we're definitely looking to explore more avenues for that ourselves. Uh, but on the lower end of the spectrum of budget and uh, involvement, I, I also think micro-learning experiences are going to be pretty big. And our platform is very well suited to actually produce those. Um, mm. But I think 
as more and more people do want things on their mobile and on the tablets and just on the go learning, I think that's the best way to exploit that really. You, know, you, need, you can create like a really good, meaningful learning experience, mm. but it can be on the commute to work. And I think that's an incredible opportunity space. And just those two pieces, how transformational could that be in the higher end vocational space as well? Yeah, massively. Yeah. I think, um, but it, there's also, I guess, a tendency to, students always want everything on their mobile. Um, and having everything on your mobile probably isn't going to be the most conducive like to good learning experiences. But being able to cover bases, to kind of cover all the aspects of it, um, I think would really, really be amazing for students. It really is going to like put learning in their control, and that's what it's all about. I haven't signed an MDA, but what can you talk about <laughs> in terms of what you think Smart Sparrow would be considering as important in terms of your platform going forward? Um, Again, I'm probably not allowed to say much, uh, but we are actually wrapping up to a uh, launch in the middle of this year for kind of a, like a new next step for us. Um, and I can't say too many details, but it will be uh, kind of around teams. Uh, Exciting. Yeah, I think so. Because I That's think uh, a lot of the time we've always had kind of the individual solo instructor who's really like championed it as a practice. Yeah. Um, but design doesn't happen in a vacuum. You know, you have to have the team, you have to work with the team. And I think facilitating tools for that is, is a good, good, good step. You know You might not be seeing this, but there's <laughs> a light that's just gone on in Dominic's eyes. He's up. Yeah. He's on. <laughs> the boys are up and about. Um, final question. Where do you think online learning is heading over the next five years? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think at the beginning of this year, uh, we kind of predicted, or the beginning of last year actually, that you know, learning design, the transition from instructional design to learning design would happen, uh, and we'd start to see kind of like bigger courses being done, uh, like with smart, smart learning. Um, I think where we see that in five years being developed is actually doing entire degrees that are actually adaptive and personalised to people, because uh, no one's really done that yet. Um, at the moment, it's always been like uh, small activities, small learning experiences, because uh, you know it's quite an investment for people. It's not something that's easy just to roll out, and that's that's why it hasn't happened yet. I think as tools and processes evolve to make that easier, uh, I think as SmartSpray, we think that you know smart smart degrees is actually really the next big step for everyone. I think you may well be right as I speak to folks around the track. <laughs> yeah, Dominic, um, thank you so much for sharing and not sharing some things, <laughs> uh, but I really appreciate you sharing time with us. I know you're flat out and busy and I know you've got things to do, so thank, thank you very you. much. Thanks for having me. We wanted to wrap some real substance around the concept of virtual and augmented reality. So we caught up with Peter Klaus from MaxArt and he took us through his thinking and his vision of what VR can really deliver. I'd like to introduce um, our next speaker today, uh, Peter Klaus. He's uh, the creative director at MaxArt. Uh, Peter has um, quite an, an expansive history in terms of IT consultancy. Uh, most recently, he's developed a business that really focuses around VR and AR content. Um, there's an interesting backstory to uh, his company, which I'll let Peter speak to shortly. But in terms of clients, teams he's worked with, he's worked on projects with Coca-Cola Amatel, uh, 
We've got VW, Westpac, ANZ. He's worked with the big end of town. At this point, he's really focused around creating experiential uh, VR uh, content. Peter, welcome to 360 Ed TV. Thanks, We're delighted sir. to have you. It's been a great conference. Yeah. Um, I guess, firstly, before we dive into uh, what you've been talking about today, can you tell us a little bit about MaxArt? There's an interesting backstory there. Yeah, yeah. Firstly, thanks for having me. Um, I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Um, yeah. So MaxArt, uh, we're a VR and AR design business. Um, we're really focused on sort of learning and development and education. Um, when I was thinking around, um, I wanted to get into this space, I was thinking of a name and what I wanted to call it. And um, I decided to partner my grandparents' names uh, from my mother's side. So her mother, uh, Maxime, and um, her father, Arthur. Mm. Maxime, very generous woman. Um, she give her a shirt off her back, I suppose, if yeah. uh, one phrase you could use. Yeah. My uh, grandfather, Arthur, was an educator. So he was a teacher, did private tutoring, came out here and taught um, when they migrated from India. Okay. Um, and they, I named it that because I wanted you know, every day as I worked and I looked at the logo to remind me of the values and what why I was doing the things I was doing. I, like, mm. At the end of the day, we want to build great education products and tools. And every time I look at the name, I'm reminded that that's what we're here to do. So that's a little bit behind the background. And it's, it's, it's great that um, you have that centred view each day about mm. why you do what you do, yep. what your purpose is. Yep. Might be worthwhile just exploring, uh, first of all, um, what have you been talking about today with the conference? Um, so today um, I was invited here by the iDesignX team to um, talk to the learning and development community about um, how to use design principles in virtual and augmented reality and also about some of the tools that you can use. Um, at the moment, uh, well, when, this first, when I first started on this journey, we got these great tools from the likes of Google and Oculus and Sony and they said build us these amazing things but no instruction manual mm. so I've spent the last two years learning and helping write those instructions with and I shouldn't say myself it's actually the VR development community like mm. there are people out there internationally that are contributing so much to mm. understanding these design principles we, we were taking things from software development and web development and mobile development throwing them at VR we found a couple of things that stuck and worked but a lot that didn't and then we had to find things that did work so uh, in terms of that content I'm yeah. just I'm interested you, yeah. to understand when we look at more traditional content yep. types yeah um, the approach, the instructional design approach, tends to form into specific patterns or, or approaches. From a VR perspective, is there anything additional that practitioners should be thinking about yeah, yeah. when they're planning storyboarding? Okay, that's so yeah. uh, a really good question. There's yeah. a great difference between those two things. And um, I, when, I, when I talk to our clients and also just people out in the industry about it, e-learning for me is a very linear approach. It can yes. be next, 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 click, click, click. Yep. In VR, we design sandboxes. They're non-linear. We allow users to explore environments and discover stories. We don't tell them stories, they discover them. Um, I like to call it uh, learning by failure. So we set up environments where users can fail and they learn by those failures. We know now, the science says, learning by failure is a powerful tool. It's more powerful than the next, next, yes, I understand, I get the, the compliance training or whatever it is. So. Um, that's what we're trying to do when we design sort of scenarios and that's the, the major difference between the two and what VR adds is that really great learning by failure and that kinesthetic you can pick up and throw objects and it's amazing. Yeah and you're right I hadn't heard 
the term kinesthetic ears for a while. And when you yeah. think about that learning style and such a large percentage of the population actually like to learn that way, mm. and it's, under, it's underutilized. It is underutilized. This is the best tool to do it. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, I'll be a bit uh, tongue in cheek here and yeah. think probably the best thing that ever happened was Pokemon Go in terms of cultural dissemination of the concept and, yeah. and, and awareness of yeah. VR, but I'm, I'm guessing there's some downside to that, but I'm just wondering what your experience has been. Uh, I both uh, love and, uh, yeah. I hate the strong word, dislike Pokemon Go. I love it because it showed people the possibilities mm. and it showed them what augmented reality was. So augmented reality was a concept yep. and Pokemon Go put it in people's hands and it was yep. far easier for me to start conversations with people about you know, the power of the technology. We saw what it did to the world there for a couple of months. It was yeah. transformative. Yep. Um, and, and I kept saying to people, well, this is just one example of what it can do. There are so many more. My dislikes of it are is it's not really augmented reality, I suppose. It depends how you define it. Um, I think of augmented reality as spatially mapped environments and mixed reality as a spatially mapped environment. Um, but still a great application. Those guys did a great job with it. I downloaded it first day, actually within the first couple of hours of it coming out. Yep. Um, I played around with it. That's a great tool. Uh, I even uh, pitched it to an organization last year and they love the concept of allowing their workers, because they have lots of locations, to travel around and collect information like Pokemon Go. Mm. So there's appetite for that style um, of learning. Well, I, I can well imagine just how um, impactful it's been now for first years coming into uni, going on tours this year, instead of having to run around holding hands, yeah. this year they're running around with their phones. Yeah, so it'll yeah, be interesting yeah. to see how that all nets out in terms of research pieces going forward. One of the things that has been really obvious for me over the last 12 months has been that each conference I've gone to, there'll be some guys selling VR goggles and there'll be attendees getting motion sick, there'll be some laughter, those folks go away but the actual benefits or the, the, the richer experience that VR and AR can provide seems to generally be lost Mm -hmm. on the broader community. It yep. almost seems a bright and shiny for this year, yeah. but it's going to go the way of the dodo. Yeah, 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 yeah. But clearly that's not the case. Yeah, so um, one of the reasons I come out and do events like today, I get to go to workshops and seminars across the country, but one of the reasons I do it is because I want to show people that there's this other side. Mm. Um, there's a, I spoke about it in my uh, presentation today, but there is some sentiment in the industry now that, you know, because it's so easy to access, and because we didn't have any instructions on how to build applications, people are getting a subpar experience to start with. And then we get phrases like, oh, it's a, it's a gimmick or yeah. um, it's, it's okay, but I probably wouldn't do it again, which is a real shame because for those people who've tried the fully, the, the desktop or spatial VR with the controllers or that have tried augmented reality or mixed reality headsets like the HoloLens, they'll tell you this stuff is magic. Mm. And it is magic and it's transformative. And when I, when I hold a HoloLens, I'm not holding an augmented reality device. I'm holding a computer, a, the future of computing. That's what I believe. Mm. And I think there's growing sentiment towards that now. So um, we need more events like this. Yeah. Um, we definitely need um, more people in the L&D space. I was talking to people today to say, you know, it's not just, just me or it's not just a handful of us that, to do this. We actually all need to do it. Mm. We all need to use the tools, use the techniques and start building great applications and, and at I, a high standard. I think the high standard is the piece. Mm. Um, you know, the challenge, I think, at this early immature stage mm. of the technology's, um, I guess, impact 
-hmm. in learning is 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 it's small it's 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 yet to germinate mm. into something which people see as um, a powerful tool. Mm -hmm. But I think when people come along to events like iDesignX and um, uh, meet with people like Peter uh, and, and delve into what he's doing, the richness really is so self-evident. Uh, it, it, it transports you in a, in a real sense to what the possibilities might be. So Peter, mm. Thank you for your time today. Thanks, it's been great to speak. We had a, a, a bit of a, a chat beforehand, and uh, uh, it was just nice to to hear your backstory a little bit uh, and, and how you've come to this point, um, pulling yourself out of enterprise ERP uh, land, and you now have a life and a soul again. So. <laughs>
Yeah, I think um, why I think we call it a craft is uh, because there is a lot of theory around learning and learning design and um, the whole science of the way the brain works. But then you've got things like different learner groups, you've got uh, people with different experiences, you've got different organisational cultures. You also have um, different contexts, different budgets, different time frames. And so a solution becomes more about what's kind of perfect from a learning design sense and more about what's going to work well for the people we're working with, for our learners and uh, for the time and money that we have. And um, they have um, significant impacts on what we can do um, and require us to really think critically about how we take uh, something like a piece of learning and really implement it so it works for people uh, in the environmental context that they're in. Thank you, thank you. Look, for me, has this been a successful conference? Um, I look at the fact that the attendees took time out of their day and for many of them they don't get paid because they're, they're part-time or on a contract. They've invested a full day here today and the conference is oversubscribed. It was full days ago. Uh, in Brisbane, in this particular climate, it just speaks volumes to the quality of the speakers and the quality of the program. So Jerry, great program. Um, I'm sure I'll uh, catch up with you next year. Um, you'll be a, a little bit more uh, world weary perhaps, but no doubt more experienced again. So thank you for your time and uh, thank you for taking us through uh, the conference. And thank you. That's all from 360 Ed TV. We'll be out and about. Hopefully you'll see us at a conference or an event near you. Don't hesitate to come up and say hi. See you next time.